Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your word. And we just acknowledge today that it is your word. And we ask, Father in heaven, that you would anoint this word, Lord God. There is no point in coming with a word that isn't from God. So, Father God, as we open your word today, I just pray, Lord, you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, that I would be filled as an empty vessel to give you glory, Lord. We're well aware of our weakness, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I thank you today, Lord God, you give the power, you give the anointing, and you give the the, the ability to speak your word, Lord God. I thank you that you care and love about each one of us here, every single one of us. I pray, Lord, you would just open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been away on holiday at a caravan park, the Haven Park over at Ayr. And uh, there are some animal characters as part of the children's entertainment. And one of the animals is called Anxious the Elephant. You can maybe go to full screen. If you could just press that wee button. Great. There's Anxious. You ever seen Anxious the elephant before? There, there she is. Do we like Anxious? Good. You know, see, Anxious always looks worried about things. And along with the other members of the zoo troop, Anxious helps to solve problems. And rescue other animals that are caught in dangerous and difficult situations. Rory, the tiger on the other hand, never seems worried at all. He's very confident. And he's always ready to help whenever they need him. You know what the funny thing is? That seeing the end of the day, at the end of the story, all of Anxious's worrying is a bit pointless. Because the end result is exactly the same. And of course, the zoo troop have never failed our rescue mission yet. So the end result is absolutely perfect. Or as Bradley Bear would say, Tremendous! Let's hear it, guys. Tremendous! Tremendous! You know, it's good to take time away, isn't it? To, To rest from the busyness of life. But it can still be quite difficult not to worry about things. Have you ever felt that way? You're just trying to relax, unwind and enjoy the day, yet your mind is just racing ahead to the future, focusing on concerns at the moment or concerns ahead. So we might ask the question today, what is worry? Well, the old English word for worry means to strangle. (laughs) If you've ever really worried about something, you'll realise that it has that kind of effect on you. It's as if it's strangling you. And in fact, worry can have some pretty definite consequences for your physical body. It can result in headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even some back pains. Worry can affect our thinking, our digestion system, and even our coordination. All sounds a bit worrying, doesn't it? (laughs) From a spiritual point of view, though, worry is, is all about wrong thinking. And wrong feeling. Whether that's about circumstances you're in, about people, about things that are happening in general. And worry is a great thief of your joy, isn't it? 
And we, we can't just tell ourselves to stop worrying. Because it doesn't work, does it? You just end up worrying the more you're focusing on it. Jesus spoke about our tendency to worry in Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. I'll just read it to you. It's also on the screen. He said this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will uh, wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't you think Jesus' words are incredibly practical? Jesus didn't speak in a complicated way, in ways that you had to try and get a degree to figure out. It's easy, it's practical to understand. He uses an illustration of the birds of the air. And Jesus declares the truth that God looks after every need of those birds. And then he says, how much more valuable are you than they are? He says, who of you by worrying can add a single day to his life? Oh, you of little faith. Doesn't that statement alone just highlight the pointlessness of worry? We can't even add a single day or even an hour to our life by worrying about it. But the very same God who created us and sustains our life every hour is more than able to meet every need we have every hour. The old hymn says, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh bless me now, my Saviour, I come to thee. Today's message is called Entering into the Peace of God. We're going to focus on the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, if you want to turn to it, the book of Philippians, in chapter 4. And just keep your Bible open there, we'll be focusing on that. This letter was written about AD 60 by the Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. So let's read now from chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, local yoke fellow, 
help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The first point I'd like to make today is that we can have peace in relationships. Peace in relationships. The Apostle Paul refers affectionately to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you notice that there? He says, my brothers and sisters whom I love and I long for. Remember Paul's far away in prison. He longs for them. He loves them. He says, you're my joy and my crown. Paul, who's in prison and facing very probable death, is still thinking of his brothers and sisters over there in Philippi. What a focus he had in the midst of troubling circumstances. Would we not, or would I not have a tendency in that circumstance to focus on our own self and our own difficulties? Would we not feel that we had enough problems of our own to deal with and worry about? But Paul deeply loves the believers. And he longs to be with them again. And he no doubt misses the fellowship. The fellowship like we're having today. Getting together. Meeting together. Praising God. Praying. The fellowship. He would miss that. And sharing in life's experiences with them. When he says that there is joy in his crown. This is referring to the fact that Paul had planted this new church in Philippi. And he had a very, very special concern for the folks there. And he says, he says this, he says, You should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The believers are encouraged to stand firm in the Lord. In chapter 127, Paul also encouraged this same steadfastness. There it's there. 1 verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. We can see even from these verses in chapter 1 that Paul is encouraging unity within the local church fellowship. He says, stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Now we don't know what the issue was here between Yodia and Syntyche, but whatever the issue was, it was bringing division into the life of the church. The name Yodia means a prosperous journey and Syntyche means a pleasant acquaintance. On this occasion, I'm sure you'll agree with me, they're not really living up to their names. And Paul asks the two of them to agree with one another in the Lord. Now, now Paul is not saying that sinful behaviour is okay. He's not saying that at all. But he's calling the two individuals to come back together to bring themselves in line with God first and back in line with each other. You know, what is it that brings us together here as a church fellowship? Is it not our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? The body of Christ is the church and it's a perfect illustration. The body of Christ is a perfect illustration of unity, isn't it? In a functioning, healthy body... There can be no division. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptised by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So we see clearly there, as believers in Jesus, we are part of the body of Christ. And this brings a responsibility for us towards each other. Paul mentioned the attitude believers should display to each other in Philippians 2, 1-4. He said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The call is absolutely clear. We are to live out what we are already. As believers, we are united in Christ. Do you believe that today? Say yes. Yes. We are already united in Christ as believers in Christ. Now this doesn't mean that we'll always agree on every single detail in life. And it doesn't mean there'll not be difficulties down the way. But when it comes to divisions between people, when it comes to bitterness, there is no place for them in the body of Jesus Christ. And where there's sin involved, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be repented of. And then we should strive for reconciliation. And reconciliation just means getting things back to the way they were. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful picture of God? Reconciliation. Two things that are apart coming together again. Now that is God's will. First of all it's God's will, isn't it? When he saves us, he brings us into right relationship with himself. Then it's his will. Even if there's difficulties between us as believers in our lives, his will is we come back to the way things were. Reconciled together again. Romans 12:18 says, "If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." So we're to aim for peace in relationships. Now let me just qualify that. The other person may always not want to live in peace with you. That's okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. But you've to aim for that. And you've not to hold bitterness in your heart or unforgiveness in your heart. So the call we have is uh, to do nothing out of selfish ambition, it mentions it there. We've not to only think about our own needs, but also the interests of others. And Paul was a great example of this, wasn't he? We're seeing that. He was an example of this correct behaviour. He's personally not in a good situation at all. He's got plenty of excuses to focus on himself. But he chooses to focus on others too. And remember, Paul is only following the example of Jesus, isn't he? He's following Jesus' example. He said there, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father when we look to the great humility compassion love and sacrifice of Jesus for us 
Should it not drive us to have the same attitude towards others? An attitude of humility. Pride is a problem, you know. And we just need to lay it to one side in God's kingdom. Just look at what he did for us. So firstly, it is, it is possible to find peace in relationships. Secondly, we can also have peace in purpose. Paul continues in verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, local yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we have some people here. Paul, Yodia, Syntyche, Clement, and the rest of the believers they all have a common purpose. Do you see it? The cause of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the good news. Another word for gospel. Preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. Do you know that's our mission? That's the church's mission on earth. And it is a common purpose we're together in. You know, in the UCB word for today, a couple of weeks ago, there was a story about geese, which caught my attention. And I promise, I had prepared this before Cathy shared last week. I had put this in here. Um, here's what it said. Look at the birds in the sky. Speaking to an anxiety-ridden crowd, Jesus said, I tell you not to worry about your life. Look at the birds in the sky. You say, what can I learn from looking at a bunch of birds? In Pennsylvania, in early winter, the skies are literally darkened as multitudes of Canadian geese gather for their annual flight to the sunny south. Let's look at their behaviour and learn from it. Geese fly united. They don't fly separately in random style. Because no goose alone can go that distance. That sounds quite funny, doesn't it? No goose alone can go the distance. <clears throat> uh, they're designed to fly in a characteristic V formation, shown there. When a bird flaps its wings, the air movement created by it provides an uplift, easing the workload of the bird directly behind it. Together, their flight range increases about 71%. Even the youngest, the weakest and the oldest geese can make this long trip. They accomplish together what they could never accomplish separately. There's a lesson here. When the Bible says let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another, it means stay in fellowship with one another and enjoy the uplift that it provides. Occasionally a goose strays off on its own, but it soon becomes exhausted, loses altitude, and ultimately pulls wearily back into the formation. Look at the birds and learn. It's the V formation. The victory was won 2,000 years ago on Calvary. Jesus has already conquered the power of sin, hell, and the grave. Now we as believers are being called to fly in the victory formation. Flying together, united. Displaying the new life we have in Christ. Displaying the new fellowship we have with, each, with Christ and each other. Is that not the flight of victory? There is peace in purpose. 
And you know, we'll get through this together. Um, and we'll be stronger as we unite in the purposes of the gospel of Christ. Flying side by side in the victory formation. You ever notice that when you're with other believers, you get an uplift? Whether it's in a sermon, a song, a word, a prayer. And we can have peace in every situation. He continues, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He says rejoice in the Lord always. It's an interesting start to that section, isn't it? Paul doesn't think as we might expect him to. Earlier in the letter, he said in Philippians 1.18, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was experiencing the peace of God in the midst of his situation. And just in case we didn't get the point, he says it again. He says, I will say it again. Rejoice. Now let's remember that that word rejoicing doesn't mean the same thing as happiness. It doesn't mean you go around about with a fake smile on like Carol Smiley, 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 Carol Smiley. It's not like that. To rejoice about something is to have a deep-seated joy. It's to have a glad heart. To have a peace deep within us. focus and the source of our rejoicing is the Lord very important point that we're rejoicing in him, we're rejoicing in our Lord one commentator says sometimes the trials and pressures of life make it almost impossible to be happy but Paul did not tell his readers to be happy, he encouraged them to rejoice in the Lord there are many circumstances in which Christians cannot be happy but they can always rejoice in the Lord and delight in him Paul himself was an excellent example of someone who had inner joy when external circumstances such as persecution, imprisonment and the threat of death were against him. In Acts 28 we read an account of the Apostle Paul as he set sail to Rome as a prisoner. It was a pretty intimidating journey. There's a map of it there on the screen if you want to have a look. Shown here in the map, uh, they set off sail from Caesarea here in Palestine and they were heading along these coastal routes towards ultimately uh, Rome I'm going to read the account from Acts 28 and it starts in verse 13 and I'm just going to leave the map on just to get an idea of the places that they were visiting as this, this story unfolds when a gentle south wind began to blow they thought they had obtained what they wanted So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force known as the North Easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of the small island called Cora, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. 
Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard and they, with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have been spared yourselves from this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of, the, of God, whose, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later they took soundings again and found that it was 19 feet deep. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors set the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of him. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners and prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces on the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. What a situation they found themselves in there. I can't imagine what it would have been like. I'm sure you can't either. It must have been absolutely terrifying. But we can see clearly from this story that Paul had faith in the midst of the storm. He might not have understood why they had ended up in such a tragic situation. But he knew that he could trust God in every situation. 
peace in every situation? How hard is it sometimes for us to trust God in every circumstance? And how easy it is for us to be anxious. Could you imagine yourself on that boat? Would you not have been worrying, worrying, worrying? Did you see Paul standing there in faith? It's really easy for our minds to get stuck in anxious thoughts. It's like a circle, a circle of worry. So what's the cure for worry? The hymn writer says, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Paul knew in the midst of a life-threatening storm that his feet were firmly planted on the rock of his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that nothing could move him from that position. And as believers today, our feet are fastened, fastened to the rock, Jesus Christ. And in and through every circumstance we face in life, he is our rock. Do you believe that today? I'm not asking if you feel it, I'm asking if you believe it. We can't rely on feelings, you see. We need to believe things. It wouldn't have felt to Paul in the midst of that storm on that boat facing shipwreck that his feet were planting on a rock, would it? But he knew it. And we need to know it. No matter what happens, our salvation is secure in Jesus. If we are a believer, nothing is going to take our feet off of that rock. And we can have peace in prayer. We see that here as we continue in verse 6. Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul continues again, not in quite the way we would imagine him to. He says, Don't be anxious, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Notice he says, in everything, in every circumstance, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Instead of being anxious, he's not told to, he doesn't tell us to stop worrying, does he? He doesn't tell us that. That doesn't work, remember? What he tells us to do is pray. And there are different aspects to prayer. He mentioned, you can see some of them in the passage there. There's adoration, giving God worship for who he is, just for who he is. Because he deserves it in any and every circumstance. We should always give the Lord praise and adoration. And then there's supplication. That's request. We're asking God for things. Help in the situation, the difficulties we're facing. And there's thanksgiving. That's a form of prayer. Don't forget that part. It's a very important part. Giving thanks to God regardless of what's happening. Thanks for what he's done for us. He's saved our souls. He's put our fear on a rock that's not going to move. He's given us eternal life. There's so much to give God thanks for, regardless of circumstance. The hymn writer says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And I'm not going to tell you today, I don't stand here as somebody that's got all, all of this worked out. And I don't bring everything to prayer. And one example of this was at work a few years ago. I worked with uh, computers, which is probably a bit of a fatal profession. Uh, because they always are in the habit of breaking badly. But there was a server room and uh, one of the major systems had crashed. And uh, it was one of those systems that we need running 24 hours a day. 
fucked and, and it broke at the end of the day and I just had to keep trying to fix it. So I was there on my own um, f- from 5 o'clock, it must have been about 10 o'clock at night and uh, nothing was working. I was just trying, trying, trying everything that I could. Absolutely nothing was working. I had no support because the company it provides doesn't provide support out of ours. I was in the ship without a paddle and... Uh, do you know something? See at the very end, my stomach was stirring, my mind was racing, I was worrying about everything so much. What's going to happen? What's the consequences going to be? I didn't think to pray. And do you know what happened to me? That song went through my head. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And do you know what? I'm not saying this for this. I got down on my knees and I prayed. A wee prayer. God, can you help with this? And there was this wee thing running across the screen like a heartbeat. It's like a performance monitor. It's like a heartbeat, it looks like. It was dead. And it just started to flicker. Beep, beep, beep. Came back to life again. It was sorted and I didn't even touch it. (laughs) I've been there about four hours (laughs) trying everything. And isn't it a wee bit like that in our life? Maybe there's something and we're just lying in deadness. It's like a flat line. And we haven't thought, we're worried so much about it, we're stressed so much about it, we're in turmoil, and we haven't sent up a prayer. And do you know the moment we do it, it's not complicated prayers. Remember, God isn't some distant father who doesn't care about you, he loves you, he understands you, he knows your thoughts before you even say them. Don't think about complicated prayers. Just say, help me God. Can you please help me? Just acknowledge him. Ask him to step in. And do you know what? The heartbeat will come. The life will come. And the answer will come. It might not come in exactly the moment. It might not come as rapidly as that one I just gave you there. But just believe God. He knows what's good for you. And he'll answer you at the appropriate time. But you need to ask. You need to ask. You know, sometimes we pray about the big things, but we forget about the small things, the everyday things. Maybe that's an example I shared with you there of something that's everyday life. Remember the men in the ship? After several days, it said they'd struggled really hard on their efforts. These are men that knew what they were doing. They were seasoned sailors, and they struggled with everything they had in their intelligence and their might to sort out this problem. But did you notice something? After Paul had spoken to them, they prayed... It said in verse 29, it said, Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Maybe that was the first time. When Paul stood there as a man of God and said, I have faith in my God, I'm praying to my God. Maybe someone else said, maybe we should be too. They prayed for daylight. as a prisoner was being guarded by a Roman soldier day and night he was literally being guarded 24-7 and Paul uses this same idea of guarding to describe the peace of God which as a result of our prayers guards our hearts and our minds against wrong feelings and against wrong thinking 
when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and repent of our sins. Repent just means say sorry. Uh, ask for forgiveness for your sins. Just say, God, I know I've sinned since the weakest lie I've ever told to the biggest thing I've ever done wrong. I just acknowledge that you're God and that sin's created a barrier between me and you. And I'm asking you, God, please forgive me for the sins. I believe in Jesus, that he died for me on a cross 2,000 years ago, that he took on my sins. And I'm just asking you to forgive me in light of what the Lord Jesus has done. I believe in him as my saviour. That's what it means. When we do that, um, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So when we believe in Jesus, as I just described there, we have peace with God. We have a right relationship with God through what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And if you aren't a believer today, it's really important that you take that first step to believe in Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Saviour. But as believers, we have permanent peace with God in our salvation from sin and from death. And we've got a restored relationship with God. But the peace of God that we're reading about here is a further blessing that is available to every believer. Did you catch that? It doesn't mean that we won't experience problems or difficulties, but I think we've already seen that enough here from the life of Paul that we're not going to be out of difficulties and problems in this life. But it does mean that the peace of God is available to us in every circumstance in life. When we pray to God and give thanks to him, the promise we have is that God's peace, which transcends all understanding or passes all understanding, will guard our heart and our mind. This is a similar thought mentioned at the end of Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. One of my friends at school, I went through, all the way through school with him, uh, knew him really well. He went through a very sad time when his grandfather had died. And my friend wasn't a believer in Jesus, but he knew that I believed in Jesus. I remember praying for him at the time, and, and for his family, that God would help them, that God would speak to them, and that most importantly God would give them peace and comfort in this really difficult situation. Do you know, my friend came up to me after the funeral and he said that he had experienced a sense of peace that he had never experienced before. He felt that God had spoken to him. He didn't even know there was a God before that. And he became a Christian soon afterwards. A genuine Christian and he's living for the Lord now, years and years later. Can I ask a serious question today? Do we really believe that God can do anything? Do we really believe that God answers prayers? Do we really believe that God can and will break through and speak to people? In any and every situation. Do you have a friend that's not a believer? Do you have a family member that's not a believer and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and nothing's happened? Can I suggest let's stop trying out that way to them and let's start praying? I talked to my friend for a long time and it was like a brick wall. I remember my grandpa saying to me, have you prayed? And I said, yeah, I prayed. He says, no, I'm not meaning just ordinary prayers. He says, I'm meaning, have you prayed actually believing 
that something's going to happen. And do you know what? I, I thought about it. I've been brought up in, as a Christian. became a Christian at seven. And prayer was a kind of thing I always did. But I'd never thought about really believing. Really, really believing. Even when it seemed like it was impossible. And do you know that really helped me? And I'm just sharing that with you today. Because if you're in a situation where you feel your own situation is impossible. Someone around about you is impossible. Something that just can't happen. I'm a, I would ask you today to believe. Believe in the impossible. And when you say your simple prayer to God for that person, for that situation, believe God's going to answer. God wants to answer. He wants us. But we need to have faith. We really need to believe He's a God of miracles. Jesus said this in Mark 11.22 Have faith in God, He said. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes for what He says will happen, it will be done for him therefore I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours now a mountain here it represents an obstacle the people in that day would have understood that it represented an obstacle a major problem in the way Jesus said these words don't doubt but believe it's a positive action not how you feel don't go by your feelings don't doubt believe Faith is so important. We need to believe God will hear us and that he will answer us according to his will because nothing is impossible with God. The commentator Warren Wearsby says this, we shouldn't interpret this passage to mean that if we pray hard enough and really believe, God is obligated to answer every prayer no matter what we ask. That kind of faith isn't faith in God. It's, it's just faith in faith or faith in our feelings. True faith in God is based on his word. And his word reveals his will to us. It has well been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but it's to get God's will done here on earth. So you see that there, it's not, can I have a new Ferrari? Although there's nothing particularly wrong with that if you've got one. But we've got clear things God shows us in his will. He knows what we need. So we have seen so far that it is possible as believers to have peace in relationships, peace in our purpose, peace in every situation, and peace through prayer. And finally, as they say on the news, <laughs> Paul closes this section with a focus on our mind. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul here focuses on one important aspect of practical advice. He talks about our mind, our way of thinking. What we think about is really important. Because peace involves both the heart and the mind. And wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. It says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Not every thought that comes into your heads from the Lord. And thoughts you need to reject and you need to measure against his word to see if it's in line with his word. 
Someone has said, so a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Paul then outlines a few things that we should be thinking about. He says, whatever is true. We've got to ensure we're thinking about the truth, don't we? There is such a thing as the truth. I know the world tells us there isn't, but this is the truth. The inspired word of God. We've got so many things in the world bombarding our minds that are opposite to the truth of the word of God. And Satan is a liar, isn't he? He's out to spin lies to believers. Take a bit of the truth and just spin it a bit so that it seems right, but it's not. So we must ensure that we're focusing on God's word. And there is truth to set us free from our wrong thinking. The next two statements are similar. It says, whatever is noble, whatever is right. These words just mean whatever is worthy of respect and whatever is just. And again, we know that there are many things in the world around us that aren't respectable and they aren't just. And Paul is not saying separate yourself totally out of the situation and hide away. But he is saying that we shouldn't focus our mind and our thinking on those things. We shouldn't let them control our thinking. The next three statements are all similar as well. It says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Pure probably refers to moral purity, sexual purity, uh, and, and every aspect of our life. It's very important. Lovely means beautiful or attractive. And then admirable, something that's worth talking about. We're supposed to major on these things. We're supposed to focus on these things. In our thinking. Then he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, or think about such things. Excellent means very good, first class. Praiseworthy means it's worth commending to other people, it's worth sharing with other people. And then he says, did you notice that he says, whatever you learned or received from me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's saying we've not just to think about these things, we've to put them into practice. And just to summarise this thought, we will think correctly when we focus on God's word. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteousness. We can have true peace of mind. Isn't that a statement they use in the world a lot? Folks talk about, I just wish I had a bit of peace of mind about this. And you know there is a peace of mind that we can have, but it's only in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the experience we're talking about here, the focus of our minds. Very important verse, I want you to remember this one. If there's one thing you remember, put this, lock this one in your head. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. A couple of years ago, Hugh here organised a, a weekend of prayer and fasting for a men's group. And uh, of course the weekend was all about focusing God's word, you know, just reading privately, quietly scripture or people sharing, people praying. The whole focus was on the Lord and uh, fasting 
from the point of view of just not letting anything distract us from a couple of days together with each other as believers and just focusing on the Lord. Now, a wee bit of a strange thing happened to me. I woke up in the morning and my mind was completely at peace. It was completely at peace. I had no distracting thoughts in my mind at all. I didn't race ahead thinking about something. I didn't have any negative thoughts. I just had this real solid peace of mind to a level that I hadn't actually experienced before, I can tell you that. And in my head were these verses just popped in my head going round in circles. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Could it be that if we took the time myself and all of us, more time to focus our mind on the Lord his truth, his word his loveliness, his faithfulness his excellence, his forgiveness his purity, his mercy his everlasting love could it be that if we were to focus our minds on these things more we would find that our minds are kept in perfect peace I close Philippians 4 Paul says, For I have learned to be content wherever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Or another translation says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul has learned to be content. And being content means being satisfied with whatever the situation we're in, whatever the circumstances we're in. Being content. It is possible to enter into the peace of God as a believer. Peace in our relationships, peace in purpose, peace in every situation, being content. Peace through prayer. And peace of mind. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this perfect peace that we have heard described today, Lord God, from your word. And I just pray today, Lord God, in any and every circumstance here today, Lord, you know every circumstance, you know every trial, you know every difficulty, you know every worry. And you've said to us today, do not worry, but have faith and pray. And I just pray, Lord, that your faith would just stir up in the hearts and lives of every single person here today. That even though we may not understand why the storms are there, we may not uh, enjoy the feeling of it, Lord God. We may be shaken all over. Help us, Lord, to really receive that truth that we, as believers, are standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Our faith can never be taken away from us. We just reject any lie of the enemy that might come in and be saying that to believers today. We thank you for the rock of our salvation. And we just pray, Lord God, you'd help us to bring those requests to you, Lord. And to see miracles happen. See people come into faith. See just tremendous things happening for your glory, Lord. If there's any today that don't know you as Saviour, Lord, I just pray you give them understanding. Just help them to ask questions about it. Help them to receive this faith, Lord. It's so important to know that we are safe and secure in the hands of Jesus forever, for eternity. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.